Hello, welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Skullamance Academy. Before we do that, Buddy, I want to show the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast and maybe introduce our special guest. Well, on this podcast, we talk about games. And if you've been listening to the back half of this podcast for like the last three years, you've been hearing me give very periodic updates about my, my Hearthstone career right and all the games of quest warrior that i've been winning and losing on uh in recent memory so we decided that we were going to take a deep dive at some of the new stuff coming in the skolomance academy expansion because i think there's some really interesting sort of design philosophy going into uh going into the new set and for that task we were also like well listen like mango hasn't played hearthstone in a long time who's another friend of ours that plays a ton of hearthstone well it turns out that we have one it's aaron aaron welcome to the cast how are you hey guys thanks for having me again you know it's been a while since the witchwood but i'm glad to be back and especially for uh you know quite a big big expansion for Har- uh, hearthstone yeah this definitely feels like um uh I, I, a little bit of a momentous uh expansion for hearthstone and this is and here, here let, let, to give you the quick pitch if you've never played Hearthstone or WoW before. Skolomance in WoW is a dungeon that is the place where, you know, like the necromancer Kel'Thuzad trained his necromancer buddies in necromancy, right? But on its surface, it was like a prestigious magical academy. So Skolomance Academy in Hearthstone is kind of like, well, what if Hogwarts, but also there's like you know, Kel'Thuzad teaching people how to be necromancers in the basement, doing creepy, doing creepy bad stuff. Um, and and there's a bunch of new, you know, like there's a bunch of new mechanics that come along with this. Uh, one of the more accessible ones is called Spellburst, which is just on minions. So you'll play a minion and it's kind of like a triggered ability that says when you play a spell, this effect happens, right? So you might have like Spellburst, deal for damage, randomly split among enemy minions or something like that so like when you cast a spell this thing will go off and it will go off once it's kind of like you got the minion to cast its own spell by triggering its spell burst in a way but the more interesting mechanic as far as i'm concerned is that they have introduced for the first time ever what i would call uh cross class cards or dual class cards right where you have the ability as a mage player to have a quote-unquote rogue card in your deck and vice versa as a rogue card or as a rogue player you might have a mage card in your deck um hearthstone has seen cards that like can bleed across classes obviously there are neutral minions released with every set that can go in any class uh and in the mean streets of gadgetzan set there were there were gangs and certain classes belonged to certain gangs and had access to certain cards with respect to those gangs right so shaman druid and um god shaman druid what was the rogue name? yeah shaman druid and rogue all had access to the jade mechanic whereas paladin hunter and warrior had access to the hand buff mechanic but that wasn't like true clause cross class stuff right that was kind of creating a superstructure of mechanics and then saying well only certain classes can access the superstructure this i would say it's very true cross class like mechanics and cards right so you could have a card like brain freeze which is a rogue mage card that uses the mage aligned uh effect of freezing minions with the rogue aligned effect of combo cards to create a card that both freezes and also has a combo trigger on it which is like 
Ooh, new stuff. This is cool. This is really neat. Yeah. So, uh, so I actually think this is super interesting too because, uh, uh, what is it? Hearthstone hasn't had a ton of like, like you said, hasn't had a ton of this, but it's like a staple in the games that I played, like, um, like Magic: The Gathering, right? Like we were, we yeah. when we were talking about the Softcast, um, they kind of like mechanically, um, act like, uh, like hybrid cards, um, but that's just because you know there's there's no there's no like double class decks or anything mm-hmm. in uh in Hearthstone, which would be an interesting thing to think about. But that's thing here nor there, but um, um, but I I, I do think you 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 identified it as kind of like um, kind of like in Magic, this, these would be cards that cost some of both colors of mana, um, in a way to kind of like capture the 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 effects of both to to make you be like a, a truly dual colored deck. But it's interesting to see them kind of like uh, inserted in, in, into this context. Um, uh, so do like do you do you guys think that like these that like any any of these mechanics do they, do they uh, stand out to you? Any of these cross mechanics in particular, the ones that are like you know does say druid suddenly having access to overload in some way which is probably the worst example i could pick but um do any of these like cross mechanics seem to hold any like super exciting possibilities for you that you think that, that, that stand out to you rather yeah i mean i definitely think that there are cross like dual classes that i'm like oh my god that's so cool and so flavorful and then there are also cross classes that i'm just like really like that's the best that you can do uh, I don't know, like what, Aaron? What is your favorite of the cro- the dual class combinations, right? Like of those cross class cards, which are the ones that you're just like, oh my god, this is amazing, and I want to use it immediately. At first glance, I think I'd have to say the Warrior Paladin. I don't know something about that um, that energy. Uh, really, really speaks to me. But also Demon Hunter and Warlock, um, yeah. especially they're, especially they're, they're more. The most recent mechanic, which are called uh, soul fragments, um, are going to be su- such an interesting, like, new way to play both classes. Yeah. So to give folks at home a little bit of an overview, uh, this is functioning kind of like, um, kind of like the color wheel in a way, which is that each class has kind of allied classes to it, um, and the wheel like goes in a circle. So every class ha- will have like the two, but they're but they're like kind of related in some way. So you have like. You have Demon Hunter and Hunter that will share four cards. Hunter and Druid will share four cards. Druid Shaman, Shaman Mage, Mage Rogue, Rogue Warrior, Warrior Paladin, Paladin Priest, Priest Warlock, and then Warlock and Demon Hunter. Um, and so it kind of like you you are seeing these places that are like overlap where it's like, okay, well, what are the what are the aspects of Hearthstone? Like what are the mechanics in Hearthstone that warriors and paladins overlap on? What are the places where rogues and warriors overlap on? Um, and kind of like teasing out cool stuff in sort of that design space. Because, uh, yeah, I, I actually, I, I very much agree with you. Uh, I was probably most hyped for, you know, obviously I'm a warrior lover. So I was, like, most hyped for, in a personal sense, uh, Rogue Warrior, because they do weapon stuff. I'm playing a lot of weapon-based warrior decks. Uh, But actually, the Warrior Paladin cards that got revealed today, earlier today, I'm just like, oh, wow, these are really interesting. And I, like, can easily find a slot for them in my deck. Definitely. Like, the the combination of, of, like, stats, taunt, and, like, divine shield that we see in a, a lot of their cards... Just like add to, you know, Paladin likes to have a body. And it just like builds on it and builds on it. You know, one silence and you're screwed. But you know, if you have that one body, you're, you're usually pretty good. 
And then being able to give something, like, so for instance, there's a seven mana card called Commencement, which summons a minion from your deck, and you give it Taunt and Divine Shield. Divine Shield is not typically like a warrior strength, right? Warrior has a big identity in Taunt, right? But it is Paladin that sort of bring, brings that identity of Divine Shield to kind of this dual class card. And so this is part of what I love about it, right? Is that you are um, finding this... You're, you're, you're like, you're finding this spot where it's like, okay, let's put these two things together and make them kind of like synergistic and work. And like I said, I think some of, some of these combinations do this really well. I also think Rogue Warrior does this incredibly well. Uh, but I think some of these are not great. They're not good. They're not good, you guys. So, so which ones in particular stand out to you as being, as being bad? I think the, the worst one uh, for me is Druid Shaman. Um Druid Shaman uh, share four cards. Uh, all of these, all of the cross-class cards have a legendary, and the legendary for Druid Shaman is Speaker Kidra, right? Uh, she has Rush, she has Wind Fury, and she has Spell Burst. Gain attack and health equal to the spell's cost, right? So if you play a six-mana spell, she's going to get plus six, plus six. Then they have Runic Carvings, which is a choose-one ability to summon four tokens, treants, uh, like treants that are totems, and you can give them rush. Uh, they have a 4-5 taunt minion that has a battle cry to restore 5 health if you're holding a spell that costs 5 or more, and they have a, uh, a 0 mana cost card called Lightning Bloom that says gain 2 mana crystals this turn only with overload 2, right? And I see where this is doing that thing of kind of combining aspects of both classes, right? So in Lightning Bloom, for instance, you have the mana manipulation of giving yourself a boost, like innervate with lightning by by giving you the two uh, the two mana crystals, but then you also have that kind of tempo drawback on your next turn by overloading yourself for two, which is a shaman mechanic. But like okay, and then in groundskeeper, right? Like I understand restoring health is in both kind of druid and um, druid and shaman, or in runic carvings that token synergies and like token cards are both in druid and shaman but the 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 four cards themselves together i feel like just don't hang they like they don't express a deeper more fundamental identity about what these two car what these two classes share in the same way that like so for instance the warrior rogue cards you have dr krastanov who, when he attacks, he gives your weapon plus one, plus one. You have Steel Dancer with a battle cry that says, summon a random minion with costs equal to your weapon's attack. And then you have Cutting Class, which says you draw two cards and it costs one less per attack of your weapon, right? These are, these like express a real identity that's like, okay, our weapon classes are warrior and rogue. So this is the thing that they are going to share when they are, when they are crossed with one another. Does that make sense? Do you see what I mean? Yeah, no. It, what it sounds like is that while like these the 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 bad kind of dual class cards maybe speak to some of the things that are common between the classes, they don't really uh, uh, like they don't really like have a thing that you build a deck around that really expresses that class identity. If, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that is exactly what I mean. Uh, that's exactly what 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 I'm kind of like getting after. Um, and you can see this with like other. I think most of these are fairly good i also have like a little bit of a bone to pick with the demon hunter hunter combo um because that kind of seems a little bit i don't th th that it's very token based and i guess i get it 
but it does that's not something i think of when i think of for hunter really so it's like is this something that these two classes really share whereas if you look at warlock and demon hunter which have a very they created a a whole new mechanic to kind of express this design space with the soul fragments right that's like oh this holds together really well this is really interesting it's really flavorful i just feel like some of the, the like some of those combos work and some of them don't i guess that makes sense to me uh, yeah, I mean, look at the Druid cards. Like, it seems like they they definitely branch off in different directions. Like, to me, Lightning Bloom is something you do in a combo deck, you know? Yeah. You know, g- gain those 12 mana crystals or something like that, you know? Especially next to uh, the Druid Legendary, Force Warden Omu, which has Spellbirds refresh your mana crystals. So it seems like, you know, you could drop this, you know, do your big thing using 4 mana, I guess. You drop the Force Warden Omu, Play Spellburst, you get those 10 mana crystals back to do something, you know, incredible and, like, swing the board. Yeah. Uh, so, do any of these cards stand out to you guys as kind of, like, going to be dominant, at least before they get patched? Like, is oh, there anything that... interesting. There have been a, there's been a lot of talk about the the Mage Rogue, which is, might be my favorite of, like, the class combinations, just because, like... It is so perfectly flavorful. Uh, the four mage rogue cards are Jandis Barov, Potion of Illusion, Brain Freeze, and Wand Thief. But specifically, Jandis Barov and Potion of Illusion are just like very, um, they're very like tricky cards. Uh, Jandis Barov says, Battle Cry, summon two random five cost minions, and then you secretly pick one that dies when it takes damage. So you're like playing these mind games with your opponent, right? Like you pick, you, you randomly summon these two minions, and it's like, oh, well, obviously you're going to make the weaker one die immediately but like maybe you're trying to like outsmart or outwit your opponent or whatever and like that's just such a flavorful tricky thing i feel like um for these classes to do and then potion of illusion which says add one one copies of your minions like your minions on the board to your hand uh most folks are looking at this as a new exodia mage combo enabler exodia mage being you put out four sorcerer's apprentices and then um an Archmage Antonitis and fireball your opponent's face uh, until they die because your fireball costs zero and you're infinitely generating them. Um, I feel like that combo is pretty good and pretty consistent and might be a tough thing for, uh, I, for, for, for decks to overcome. I mean, that's where my head went first. You know, I, I used to play the uh, Knights of the Frozen Throne Exodia, Exodia um, Mage, actually. Well, you use some Alacrim to copy the Sorcerer Apprentice, and then you reduce them uh, with another card, and then you could do the whole combo. So this seems like a way to where you just have to have enough hand space, because when you think about it, you kind of have to have an empty hand, other like a five cards between this this card, uh, the. Oh, I guess you can only have two Sorcerer's Apprentice, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, so, it, like, it you have to cast it twice. And it, you you have to do it over two turns. But, um, but like, the question is, can the mage sort of stave off? Uh, the, he, here, here's, my, here's my thing about, about, like, Combo Mage and Exodia Mage. What used to happen with Exodia Mage is you had to turn through your deck quickly enough that you assembled all of your combo pieces, right? 
but also not die on board. You also had to make sure that you didn't get just blown out by whatever aggressive deck you're fighting against. And there were good ways for the Exodia Mage to turn through their deck and not great ways for them to stave off on board. Now I feel like we're in the opposite situation where the combo is a little clunkier than it used to be with the old Exodia Mage with, um, you know, like the quest and Simulacrum and all this other sort of thing. Um, but you have great resources in like frost novas in brain freeze another card that's going to freeze a minion in ray of frost that freezes minions like these are really powerful effects that stop your opponent from being able to just like run you down uh that give you the space you need to execute on to like to execute on your combo um the one upside is that the biggest enabler of quest mage ever, which was ice block that basically just set you to be immune when you would have taken fatal damage has been rotated out. So there is never that like all, you know, like all else fails. I can active, I can drop an ice block here, uh, sort of like safety button when it comes to the combo decks. Totally agree. I've actually been having trouble with my mage decks doing exactly that. Like I can't seem to stave off and get enough life steal and like keep above. You know, you know. It seems like there's actually because of the lack of ice block, um, we've had more of the three mana secret where you gain eight armor when you're attacked. I've seen that come up a lot more. I don't know if it's with the rise of demon hunter and the aggression that mm-hmm. came from that though. No, that's actually, like, I, I think about that quite a bit, um, because, like, there is a sort of question, and the Hearthstone staff has talked about this, right? Like, they kind of want slow and fast versions of all classes to be kind of available, right? Um, and so, like, for instance, when they did Demon Hunter, there's the big demon version of Demon Hunter, which is very slow, very control-oriented. You're mostly, like, clearing the board with big AoE in the beginning of the game, right? And then you're slamming big fatty demons over and over again in the late game sort of thing. And then there's the tempo version, which is very, you know, you're just hitting the board, you're attacking aggressively with weapons, with your face, and stuff like that. That has been dominating the metagame basically ever since it got it got kind of um, it got kind of released. But there are certain classes where they are missing kind of like core functionality of what I would call like a late game, like a control deck, which kind of staves them off from there. And the two examples of this are Rogue and Mage, who have access to a lot of value. And in a world where Rogue had self healing, had taunt, had armor cards, right? They would probably compete with Control Warrior or Control Priest for just being able to take a game deep into fatigue, right? But the problem with Rogue is that they don't have healing, right? That they are specifically weak in this aspect. So when I put face damage into... When I put damage on a Rogue's face, that damage is going to stick around more or less for the rest of the game, right? Whereas if I'm putting that damage on a Warrior, well, it's okay. He's going to have a turn where he gains 22 armor off of, like, Risky Skipper Armorsmith combos or whatever. And I say that as the Warrior pulling off those combos. Um... So it is really interesting that, like, Mage is now in a position where it has an incredibly powerful game-ending combo, right? But it is kind of naturally and always on a clock. Mage will, like, never really be able to go super deep into fatigue because it just lacks that healing aspect of, like, hyper late-game control decks. Interesting. So... Um, obviously I've, I've been out of, like, as you mentioned, I've been out, out of this for a while. Like, are there any cards from like what's, what's currently in the set that you're, that you see as being like really big combo enablers for, uh, uh, 
coming like combining with the Skolomance. Yeah, so uh, there are a couple of other combo enablers. Like another one here is Druid. Um, Druid tech has late game decks, but they are technically. They are not technically, but they are a lot of the time combo decks, right? Druid has some of the best access to combo decks as a finisher for their, um, uh, for like, and for a long time, right? They were sort of the poster child for these kind of Mechathune combos, Mali Ghost combos, right? And it's because they have refreshing mana crystals as kind of a class identity, as you saw in that Force Warden Omu card, right? Where your spell burst to refresh your mana crystals and they also have a lot of card draw because one of the things that sets a combo deck different from a like apart from a control deck is a combo deck wants to churn through as much of its deck as possible as quickly as possible to get to its combo pieces basically right uh and so you're seeing cards like twilight runner that are added twilight runner is a five mana five four stealth uh that says whenever this attacks draw two cards like getting even just one attack off with your twilight runner is going to be giving you so much value at being able to churn through your deck uh the one of the probably one of the best examples of this would be the ultimate infestation uh 10 mana draw five cards right just being able to like get all of your pieces into your hand as quickly as possible and then combo out on your opponent you know looking at uh the seven mana spell or Druid and Hunter, actually. Uh, Garden Animals is a 7-mana epic. Summon two beasts that cost 5 or less from your deck and give them Rush. You summon two Twilight Runners and attack with them. That's 4 cards for 7-mana. Yeah, it's 4 draw. cards. It's removal. It's deck thinning because you're pulling those beasts out of your deck, right? If there is going to be a powerful Druid combo deck, which I am a little hesitant about, to be honest with you... Um, just because we haven't seen it in, in a while. One of the big things that Druid lacks is effective removal options. Um, they they got rid of Naturalize. Uh, like, Naturalize got Hall of Famed. So, Druid just doesn't have great ways to, like, if they're facing down a powerful threat, kill that threat. Uh, they have some stalling tactics, because, like, Taunt is in their identity. Armor Gain is in their identity, right? Uh, but being able to be like, okay, well, that's a 14-14 Edwin Van Cleef on the board. I have to destroy it or I lose. That's just not something that Druids really have the capability for anymore. I also but, think that Hearthstone is pretty is pretty quick these days, um, which puts a little bit of a damper on those combo decks. Definitely. And, I mean, I mean after all, Edwin is just a 3-mana 2-2, right? <laughs> um... What, what, guess, what is I've, this joke? I don't understand it. Please, please Edward explain. Edward Van Cleef is the rogue class legendary in, in Classic, and he has a battle cry that says he gains plus two, plus two for each other card you've played this turn. Kind of super combo, right? For each combo you have enabled, he'll get plus two, plus two. Um, rogue, and as part of their class identity, also has a lot of card draw, but specifically card draw that will reduce cards to zero, so or like one. So... Um, they can generate a card that will draw three cards and they all cost zero, or their Galakrond will draw four cards and they all cost one. And what this allows rogues to do is slam these insane tempo turns where they draw six cards, play six cards, and that means that their Edwin Van Cleef, their three mana 2-2, two -two, is actually going to be a three mana 14-14. And unless you have an answer for that, he is going to hit you in the face and you will die. Okay, uh, that, that makes sense. I get that now. Thank, thank you for explaining. No worries. <laughs> yeah, it's been it, it's been an issue. Like he keeps dodging. He and Malagos keep dodging the Hall of Fame. Like it's been quite the uh, 
like he he a lot of like contention matches have been lost to an early Edwin and yeah. not having the removal on the other side. Yeah, because even, you know, as early as turn three or turn four, um, depending on what you kind of, like, have, right? If I coin, backstab, play a one-drop on turn three, if I coin, backstab, play a one-drop, and Edwin, that's an 8-8 eight, eight on turn three. And it's just like, fuck, man. Like, how do you deal with that? Um, so sometimes you just have these sort of sorts of, like, blowout matches that all come down to getting out that, that super you know, like that super tempo play. I mean, on the other hand, then you also have situations where like I'm playing the warrior deck and I just execute your Edwin for two mana. And it's like, you spent four cards to generate an eight, eight, and now you're kind of out of gas. Um, like it's it, so it's a little bit of a give and take, but yeah, Edwin has been in the game for a long time and he's been smacking people in the face and winning games uh, for a very long time. Uh, so, so kind of on that note, just because you mentioned Mali Ghost, I've I've seen a couple of cards with some interesting effects on spell damage, right? Like Cram Session, uh, that where like the draw one card gets approved by spell damage. Uh, do you think that's gonna be like a like is that is that currently a a big mechanic in the meta, the spell damage mechanic? And do you think this this uh, that that this uh, expansion will, will will build on that or make it a thing? So if it's ironically, not? in Hearthstone's history, spell damage used to be a very important and very powerful ability that you, that was on cards, right? Freeze Mage, like old school Freeze Mage, used to rely on very powerful spell damage turns, um, where you were able to land a Maligos, stick a Maligos, and then like Fireball, Ice Lance, Ice Lance, or like Frostbolt, Ice Lance. Ice Lance or whatever, and like just mash people for huge amounts of damage. Since then, though, they they have gotten very um, conservative when it comes to when it comes to spell damage, and we're slowly starting to see it kind of like peek its head up a little bit, um, a little bit more. Uh, and I, I I agree with you. I'm actually really interested to see sort of how the spell damage uh, synergies that are in this set play out, especially because they are they are very like class related. Um, shamans and mage share a couple of spell damage cards like primordial studies is a one mana discover a spell damage minion and then your next one costs one less well that's actually really powerful because there are not a lot of spell damage minions and some of those are really good right like being able to just to uh discover a a um uh vosh uh who is the she is the shaman legendary from the ashes of outland set and she currently has some spell damage on her right but then she'll die and become a prime and then you can pull her back out and she will have more spell damage for you like being able to discover like a second copy of a legendary like that is really good and really powerful and i think that primordial studies will make it into decks just because of effects like that yeah i I think also horson experimented with spell damage during uh, the Boomsday Project. It was when we first saw the, I guess, the wording improved by spell damage. Mm-hmm. Where, okay. you know, with, with your spell damage, you would in, you could increase, uh, you would, I guess, summon bigger and bigger minions. And this is the second time we've seen this. And I'm kind of liking, liking it, especially because, you know, it's mage. It's, it's a spell slinger. It's about in damage. Okay, interesting. Especially because, like, uh, like, that was also noticed that Mozakai here... Um, also has something like it basically has like uh, spells increased spell damage. Um, does uh, or, like do you, do you think like like is direct nuke mage a thing, and do you think that it will be a thing with with these changes? The current uh, mage deck that is sort of making the rounds is a Highlander deck, which is functionally a, a control deck um, that is like built to win with some powerful Highlander endgame kind of turns. 
this suggests that there will be a a, a tempo mage, and tempo mage has always been built on kind of two things: um, a combination of cheap spell enabling minions like sorcerer's apprentice, um, lab partner in here, the one mana one three spell damage plus one card would like fit like perfectly into that, um, and stuff like you know like the old mana worm when mana worm was a one mana one three that you could just like pump insanely. So it's like cheap minions that enable spells and cheap spells to enable so those minions is kind of what makes like a successful tempo mage deck. The one thing that tempo mage is lacking is face damage. Um, they're really reduced to fireball, uh, to frostbolt as kind of like relatively cheap and fireball really isn't even that cheap. I mean, it's four mana deal six, right? Um, cheap options to really like smash someone's face in, uh, with, with your uh with your deck now there is a couple of ways that this might go so like so for instance cram session improving by spell damage if you have you know an azure explorer which gives spell damage plus two that's two mana draw three which is insanely powerful you know like that's a that's a really good effect that's going to be really strong and that might give you enough gas where it's just kind of like all right you don't have you have you have your fireballs you have your frost bolts um, but like the idea is that you're going to turn through your deck super quickly and just throw every single direct damage spell face. And maybe that'll put you over the top. I think, I think maybe that works. Um, but right now spelled or right now, tempo mage is sort of lacking the, the cheap options that it used to have to do lots of face damage, whether that is one mana mana worm, whether that is explosive runes or whether that is like ice lands. I mean, um, so when you were saying, you know, with Cram Session, two mana, draw three, you know, that used to be actually like a very powerful effect um, last, in the last year, because there was a, a two mana, draw three, but it was gated by the fact that you could only draw minions. So this one might be a little bit harder to pull off since, you know, since you just mentioned, like, I guess, like a two card combo, or is it with Zero Explorer and then this card? Mm hmm. I mean, even just like lab partner on one, cram session on two. I think people would be very happy about. Like, if I was if I was a tempo mage player, I'd be like really really happy with that effect. Um, though, though the other thing about spell damage is like spell damage requires you to ha like you you it, it is definitionally synergistic. Spell damage only exists on minions or like on weapons and stuff, right? Um, there's no spell that gives spell damage, um, and. You so you need both the minion to activate your spell damage and the spell to take advantage of your spell damage in order for it to be powerful, uh, which can sometimes sort of like hamper, you know, th like sometimes the synergy is there. Uh, in the current iteration of Warrior, we have Risky Skipper, which damages minions, and we have Blood Boil Brute, which wants to see damaged minions on the board in order to reduce its mana cost, and that has just been a good enough thing that it powers Enrage Warrior into right like being one of the best decks in the metagame and it's kind of a question of like well do we expect to see that with spell damage tempo mage well maybe is the answer i think one of the interesting pieces about this is the interaction on spell burst on the other two mage cards that they have which is worm weaver a five mana three six that has spell burst summon two mana worms and firebrand a three a three mana three four spell burst that deals four damage randomly spit among all enemy minions um this almost seems to suggest that there will be a mid-range spell damage 
mage rather than like a pure aggro one where you're kind of using your early turns to maybe like take advantage of the spell damage by ray of frosting the enemy board or whatever and then you start slamming these more powerful minions you have mozaki you have worm weaver you have firebrand um who are kind of like gaining you value over time but you're still going to out tempo the control decks thanks thanks for uh that analysis that was that's uh Definitely answered my question. Okay, so you haven't played Hearthstone in a long time, but when you no. did, what was your favorite kind of deck to play? Like, do you do you see cards in the Skullamates Academy list that you're just like, oh, oh wow, that's that's well, something that appeals to me, Mango. Uh, Cabal Acolyte, because my favorite deck to play was always Toy Stealer, uh, Toy Stealer Priest. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how how uh, I mean, it was never exactly viable, but I don't know how like how like even able to do it you are in uh in the, in the current meta uh, or i mean in the current set rather um but that definitely stuck out to me um did anything else in particular jump out at me i'm not exactly sure like uh like i just said the spell damage stuff was interesting to me um i really like the flavor on uh on the infiltrator lillian um but that's just like a, a flavor thing i also really uh, like the flavor on infiltrator lillian <laughs> Uh, and did I have anything else? Like, I also, I thought Devolving Missiles looked cool, but it's not like, it's not like you build a deck around that, right? Like, yeah. Um, Devolving Missiles is, one, is, is a card that I feel like will fit in a lot of decks. I mean, maybe it's not good enough, who knows? Um, but like, if it is, you know, I think that it, it's neat kind of thing. Yeah. Um, otherwise, like, nothing really jumped out at me as being especially like, like, uh, uh, especially like game changing, at least in the ways that like I, I thought were, were were super fun when I was playing, mm -hmm. like um, like uh, transfer student, right? Like uh, like that's like this cool kind of like game, you know, like uh, you know, like only can do it in an online game thing, but it also seems like a card that like is like I feel like that card's like just not serious, right? Like I don't think you can run that in your deck in a way that like. Uh, that like you, you like you because you can't rely on what the what the ability is going to be. You can't like seriously run it in your deck uh, at like a higher level. But does that seem right to you guys? Or am I, or am I off base? Uh, to be honest, I run it. I, I run it in a lot of my decks. <laughs> I mean, I, I gotta agree with Mango. Like when I first saw it and I I saw the effects, I wasn't sure if I was willing to run it for anything other than the fun. But then again, it seemed to be it was banned from the from the last Hearthstone Masters tour online. Maybe yeah, maybe yeah. because it's too recent, or but I'm not. Sure. I doubt. I kind of doubt it's for balance reasons, to be honest. But like you know, it seems like there there's something that made people want to get in there. I guess like a reborn effect or the plague effect were definitely the big the big. Yeah. So effects to for, me. for me, I mean, part of it is that I I typically play slower decks. I don't really play low end aggro. I I play mid range or control decks, and um and a lot of the effects that transfer student have uh are like kind of value oriented. Like so, for instance. On the Rise of Shadow Boards, it puts a Lackey in your hand. That is a great effect. I love, like, Lackeys are very good in a lot of the decks that I'm playing. Um, on the, um, on the, one of the Uldoom Boards, it'll put a random Plague spell in your hand. And some of those Plague spells suck, right? But getting a Plague of Wrath or getting a Plague of Death can be, like, really game-changing um, when you're playing sort of in that slower deck. And at its worst, its worst is, like... On the Stormwind map, it's a 2-mana two 2-2 two, two Divine Shield, which is 
honestly, that was Shielded Minibot, and that was an insanely good card. And so, at its worst, it kind of just plays, like, as an early card to help you contest the board, because you're playing, you know, Shotbot or whatever, like a 2-mana two 2-2 two -two with Reborn, that'll, like, take a little bit of investment from your opponents, you can take some value trades with it, uh, and then at its best, you play it, and it's going to discover you a dragon, and you can, you know, slam fatties when you need to slam fatties kind of thing. That, that makes sense. Um, it's, it, it's, it's just, so even though that it's like, uh, like it, it's like the, the effects, I guess, are just general enough that it's not like, like, um, like I assume you wouldn't be running this in like a, a very specifically tailored deck, but in like a more generalist deck, right? Like maybe like a, what would that be? Like a tempo deck or like, yeah, you know, I, 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 so I run it in two of my decks. I put it in my, uh, quest warrior deck just because i had some underperforming cards in there that i was like looking to get rid of anyway and that deck loves to find lackeys but also like likes help in the early game kind of like contesting the board that i i think of that deck as being pretty mid-range actually because of the way the hero power works out you don't have infinite value and you can't win a super long value matchup with a with a you know like a control priest or something like that uh, but you can out-tempo the Control Priest, and sometimes Training for Student works for that, and I also have it in a Battlecry Quest Shaman deck, which wants you to be playing Battlecry minions. Just a lot of the, uh, or a lot of the Transfer Student effects tend to be Battlecries, maybe like half of the effects tend to be Battlecries, and they are specifically Battlecries that you want to double, like getting double lackeys off of a card is huge for that deck, or getting double plagues would be huge for that deck, um... So, so it's in those two decks, but it's not, for instance, in my Ripper Warrior deck, which is like my new favorite deck or whatever, because that one, the, 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 so Ripper Warrior relies on you having a deck with mostly spells and a couple of very big, very powerful creatures, because it wants to use a card called Dimensional Ripper to pull out two copies of a minion in your jack deck. So you want to pull out Deathwing. <laughs> And slant and like it's a ten mana spell. You play it. You play two death wings, and now there's two twelve twelves on the board. What does your opponent do? Kind of thing. Um, obviously, if it pulls out a two two, that's not great. Sure, sure, for sure. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah. I mean, so, so this is the thing that's it's a little uh, weird to just kind of like in a more general sense, right? Because it's like. Uh, uh, it's like we we have talked before on this cast, and, and Aaron, feel free to chime in on this too, about like how Hearthstone has a lot of randomness inherent to it. Like that's like how it's built itself up. Um, and like I guess if I looked at this and like Transfer Student, like when it was thrown down, it randomly picked one of these effects. It'd be like that would seem very Hearthstone-like. But the yeah. fact that it's tied to the board seems to 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 just like like that is kind of like screams against my intuitions as to like a thing that should happen. Oh, really? um, you got. Like, but just, just kind of like my, my base intuition. Sure. So, 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 th so thankfully, the, te the text box in Transfer Student does change according to the board. Um, you, you don't have, you don't draw it. It has the text you see right now, and you, and you throw it down, and you have to, oh wait, okay, I'm in this board, so I'm gonna get this effect. No, you gotta get to see it. So, it's not, it's not until I guess the draw, or like if you know ahead. Time enough, you know, if you see your the board, what kind of effect you're, you're gonna be looking yeah, for? Yeah, it's one of those. Does that make any better, Mango? It's so, so it, 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 like, like that, like, I think that's like what makes it like basically legible, right? But like, this is like the type of thing where like, uh, it, it just like it just feels to me like a thing that, that it shouldn't be, and then like, I don't like, I, I need to sit and think about like why that is, um, but like, I but like, um, 
Uh, but, but that's just kind of like my, my gut reaction. But I mean, there is truer kind of like random card generation, right? Like, so for instance, in Warrior, you have the, uh, you have the card, um, Information, which adds two random taunt minions to your hand. You have Athletic Studies, which discovers you a Rush minion. Is that, is that like that what you mean by kind of like random? I'm like, so that's random in Hearthstone, right? And Hearthstone right. does a lot of that. And Hearthstone can do a lot of that because it's a computer game, right? Like yeah. Magic can't do this. Um, but like, so like this... This feels like it could be like an, an unglued card or something, right? Like, oh, like okay. an un, yeah. an unset magic card, which is kind of what it's like. You know, this is this is specifically bake, breaking like a you know like a, a convention that we specifically prohibit in uh, in magic, and and that's probably why it just kind of like like screams at me that way. Mm-hmm. Um, like taking in, like taking into account like um, uh, out like you know like a real world state almost right like you know it's not really that, real world right, but like you know that's uh, meta. Know. Yeah. 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 It's, it's so nothing there's, more... a, there's another card that's sort of like this. Uh, I mean, there's a couple cards that I feel like are sort of like this. But the other one that I think of is Lorekeeper Polkelt. Did you see this one? Battle Cry. It's a four mana, four, five. Battle Cry. Reorder your deck from the highest cost card to the lowest cost card. That also seems like a very Hearthstone effect to me. Because, like, I mean, technically, you could do that in magic, right? But, like, it would be kind of ridiculous. But in Hearthstone, you literally can just. Snap your fingers and your whole deck is ordered top to bottom. Sure, sure, but that, that's a deterministic effect, right? Like, you know, like, it's not like your deck, like, you know exactly how that's going to work, right? Like, you know, you oh, play I, the card. I and... you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like, yeah. you know, Onyx Mage Scribe adds two random spells from your class to your hand. Yeah, yeah. I, I see, I think that those, those effects are important. This, this is part of what I like about Hearthstone, right? Is that I sometimes, you know, I don't win with the same game plan every game. There are some times where I'm looking for specific outs or I am kind of, um, you know, I, I have to think on my feet and I have to ad- adapt and be prepared for, for like that aspect of randomness. If I'm getting a lot of, um, you know, I don't know. If I'm getting stuff, like for lackeys, if I'm getting a lot of ethereal lackeys, which allow me to discover a spell, that changes the trajectory of my game plan, whether it's win or loss, than if I get a bunch of draconic lackeys that allow me to discover dragons, if that makes sense. Um, and so that's, that's like the foundational thing that I like about Hearthstone, is that like the games don't play out super similarly every time. Um but at the same time, uh, that is also a little bit of just kind of like how I play. And the lower the lower to the ground the deck tends to be, the more straightforward it plays. Playing, okay, so one of the highest win rate decks uh, in Hearthstone for a while has been Murloc Paladin. And it is solely because that deck is brain dead. You just slam Murlocs just over and over again. And, and like, the GMs will talk about this. Well, they'll be like, I can't believe Murloc Paladin is, like, a Tier 1 deck on HS Replay or whatever. Because, like, it is not, <laughs> like... But the reason it is is because there are people at Silver who are just not good Hearthstone players. But there's it's so brain dead that and consistent that you just do it. Um, whereas, like, you know, if you are constantly having to make these decisions about, like, oh, well, wh- which of these dragons do I pick off of my discover kind of thing, that's a real place where there's a lot of failure states for people. Um, and they choose bad lines that lead to them losing, uh, which is kind of why some of the, the the decks that are in, like, High Legend and going nuts in High Legend don't really show up in lower levels of, of uh, play as often or as effectively. Yeah, the skill floor, the skill floor, the skill ceiling... Um, or definitely a lot higher in certain decks. Like um, in Wild, uh, Priest, Highlander, Highlander Priest, you know, Raza Priest, the old Raza Priest, you know, with zero mana hero power, what he refreshes. 
Um, it kind of, it doesn't, it isn't not that brain dead, but it kind of has that very, um, there's very little random randomness to it. So it lets the game plan always happen the way you want it to. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm looking at my stats. Okay, so on HS Replay, the top win rate deck right now is Murloc Paladin, 59% win rate, right? And then as I look at my stats, my last five Paladin games, I won. Every, they were all Murloc Paladin. I won every single one of them. Um, I think it's it's a deck that sort of just preys on folks who don't who 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 aren't. I don't know. Maybe they just don't know the 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 matchup very well, or they can't think it through, or they're they're they they don't have good options or something like that. But uh, yeah, I, Murloc Paladin is not an insanely powerful deck when it comes to Grandmasters. But it is a really good deck when, you know, you're climbing through silver and gold. One beat me today, I want to say, or yesterday, because I was trying out um, in kind of like a old-style uh, Cyclone Mage with a quest and, you know, trying to get big Hunter's Calling turns on, the, on Mana Giants. So, unfortunately, I didn't have, like, any of my, you know, big generation spells. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and sometimes it happens, right? Like, sometimes you get blown out. And see, and this is what's funny, right? Like, Tempo Demon Hunter, which is a Tier 2 deck, um, it's been nerfed a million times, right? But I am more afraid of Tempo Demon Hunter than I am of Murloc Paladin when I go up against it. Because Tempo Demon Hunter has a lot more, I mean, we call it reach, like the ability to just kind of like get past taunts, um, get face damage in. And so there are a lot of times where I'm facing off against a Tempo Demon Hunter and they use small decision points in that deck to really make my plays hard and awkward. And, and Murloc Paladin doesn't, really have that ability like sometimes they do uh i played against a murloc paladin that was very good with his toxfins toxfin allows a mur like can give another one of your murlocs poisonous and it's basically the only removal in the murloc paladin deck um but like there's just so many cool things that a tempo demon hunter can do to blow me out of a game that I'm a lot more afraid of that matchup than I am of the Murloc Paladin matchup. Even though I kind of have tailored my decks around the Tempo Demon Hunter matchup because it was so common for so long. Yeah, it, it, I think it definitely warped the um, warped the meta to go to it. Like, I mean, th I think that's why like Spell Druid ended up uh, putting in Claw. Yeah, the one mana. The one being mana. Being able to do one mana deal two is just so huge for the you know being able to shut down those guys early game. I ha I still run sword and board in my warrior decks just because like one mana deal two stopping a battle fiend or a blazing battle mage from getting going is like so huge in those decks. See, this is super interesting, right? Because um, this is kind of uh a, a thing that's like kind of anathema of magic, right? Magic the Gathering is all about consistency and kind of having a deck that plays out basically the same every time you play it. Um, and the more you can consistent you can get that, the better. Um, and that's that's actually kind of why like I fall off of Magic whenever I do is because like it's like you know well I'm running the same deck over and over and the games I'm winning games but like is playing out the exact same every time. Um, so that's 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 an interesting thing I hadn't considered. Maybe that's the thing that like gets me back into into Hearthstone. Yeah. is, uh, like, the ability to just kind of, like, play with all this randomness and have unique experience every time. Yeah, I mean, see, this is one of the, this is one of the interesting things, too, because, like I said, low-level decks are very consistent. Tempo, Demon Hunter, Murloc Paladin, these are very consistent decks that don't, they're not generating a lot of random resources, they're not generating a lot of value like that. But the high-end decks, you have to. You can't win a matchup against a Control Priest unless you inject 
like the 30 cards in your deck is not going to be enough to outvalue a control priest you have to have extra value in your deck somewhere right um and that's where that's what and this is part of why i gravitate towards those higher end like mid-range and control decks because like that's where i find like the fun in hearthstone so in a certain sense if you want to play the consistent game you can you're just you you just want to play aggro decks and if you want to play like the random game i mean right now um the control priest frame relies a lot on outvaluing opponents by generating random cards every turn because the the priest hero power uh when you use your galakrond gives you a random priest minion for two mana every turn which is like obviously like bad tempo but if you can outvalue your opponent and you can just start slamming these random priest minions whatever maybe it's like a two mana two three or whatever but like that's enough to kind of like get you there and do and do cool stuff i don't know i have a lot of fun playing my priest deck though i typically uh don't don't love the like the priest i don't know like shell i i, I don't know i i always enjoy priest because yeah it's, it's the like mango was saying the you know steal your toys kind of thing also but it's also kind of like finding the lines and finding um you know how you go about things um oh, yeah. and, and i mean to me you know although it may look like a 30 card yeah like a 30 card deck it's definitely like you know you have um, Thought Steel, which gives you an initial two cards outside your deck. You know, so you get a net one there. You know, you have Stealthic Veil Weaver, which is a, a minion where if you use a spell that's directed at a minion, he gives you a random priest spell. So it just kind of expands from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and depending on what that random priest spell is, it really changes up your game plan. This is the this is the thing that I really love about Priest, is like sometimes your game plan will be like, you know, I don't know, you're you're picking up a lot of high-end spells, and so it's like, oh, well, I now have a third and a fourth Plague of Death, so I can just, like, constantly bait my opponent into overcommitting to the board, and then I just wipe it with these huge, huge spells, right? Or sometimes you're picking up a lot of buffs, and you're like, okay, well, now the most important card in my deck is Sethic Veilweaver, and I need to slam a huge Sethic Veilweaver turn to blow my opponent out, kind of thing. Or it's kind of like, yeah, it, so you let your opponent extend but then you cast something like soul mirror which was a card from the last expansion i don't know if mango seen this one where it's seven mana summon a copy of enemy minions and they attack each other i want to say that's i guess the wording for each minion on your opponent's board it will summon a copy of that minion and then your minions attack their minions right um and this is honestly a huge problem sometimes like so for instance uh the the warrior prime kargath um Kargath is a 4-mana 4-4 Rush, but when he dies, he will shuffle an 8-mana 10-10 with Rush that when he attacks and kills, or when he attacks uh, an enemy minion, you gain 10 armor. And that's a really powerful card to have in your deck. So I will throw my Kargath away just so that my my priest opponent can't use Soul Mirror and get a Kargath prime in his deck because it's so powerful do you know what i mean and i think that that stuff is very like neat when it comes to comes to matchups yeah i mean like the the knowledge that you know you can't really drop um the mage legendary from last one the three two with spell damage that shuffles a prime in into anything yeah, that will yeah. get, get itself killed you know you just gotta know the matchup left and right sometimes but right. I, th- I think we're, i think we're getting away from the, the expansion though but yeah <laughs> that's fair yeah, yeah. What, what were you gonna say mango yeah, to bring it back to the expansion, um, 
Uh, you mentioned Lorekeeper uh, Polkelt. Uh-huh. Um, I looked at this card and I thought like there like there has to be like a thing behind this that like makes some sort of sense. Like what is like is there like a, a deck that people are like theory crafting about? Is there like a a thing you use this for to do, or is it just kind of like a how this would be fun? Uh, uh, I think it's going to be used kind of like there's a card called Myra's Unstable Evolution or Unstable Portal Element. Element, right, which drew your entire deck as a road card. And it was used in a tempo rogue shell to give you the gas to finish out the game, right? If you had two, uh, like if you had two cards in hand, you would cast this draw eight, but your deck would be gone, but it didn't matter because you're a tempo deck and you're just going to like aggro down the opponent or whatever. Uh, Lorekeeper Pulkelt in my head looks pretty similar. If you're playing a tempo deck and you've gone through your early turns, you want to drop Pulkelt so that you are not drawing a one mana one one. You know what I mean? That's It's important for those tempo decks who have the one-mana one-one so that they take control of the board early and get that early face damage in, right? Um, but when they are when they are entering turn five, turn six, turn seven, they need to... You know, they want to be drawing their finishers because that's when the other decks will stabilize, right? And so if I'm facing a ten- tempo Demon Hunter and I wipe his early board on five with my brawl and he runs Polkelt. Well that means that he's gonna be drawing his highest cost like big threat cards turn after turn after turn. And that's a way that those tempo decks can run me out of out of removal, out of value, uh, and close out games. Yeah, it's definitely a mid range to or control card. You know, when you wanna start slamming down the big fatties and start taking control of the board. Okay, but that's gonna uh, naturally put like a max uh, cap on like the number of like really high mana cards you could have in the deck. Because yeah, know. I mean like the typical the typical tempo demon hunter deck doesn't will play a couple of six mana cost cards, and that's kind of like the capstone of the deck, which are typically like game winning cards. In demon hunter, okay. that's skull of Gul'dan, and it's blades of Azanoth, and it's like when you're gonna hit the late game, those are the decks that that you want to you know like that you want to draw that you want to pick up. Um, you know, if, if I'm playing a Zoo deck, for instance, uh, that's going to get me Hands of Gul'dan, which is going to get me more card draw, which is going to, you know what I mean? It's going to, like, fill out my endgame curve so that I constantly have the fuel to, to sort of, like, run you down before you can stabilize. Okay, that makes that makes perfect sense. And then a similar question about Vectus. Like, is there a specific game plan um, around those Death Rattle Whelps, or is that, like, a, is this just, like, kind of like a, a card that gives you decent value and you hope that you get something nice on. on I'm the deck actually really interested by Vectus because there aren't, there hasn't been like a really powerful Death Rattle deck for a while. There used to be a Death Rattle Hunter deck that was like really strong, and we might be seeing like the comeback. Um, but something that Vectus would do. So, for instance, um, if I played Vectus in my uh, in my Quest Warrior deck, the only Death Rattle card in that deck is Cargath Blade Fist, right? And so if I play Vectus, I'm getting two 1-1 one, one Whelps that are shuffling those Kargath Primes into my deck, and Kargath Prime is obviously, like, extremely good. So I could see it be a value tool like that, but I could also see it be, like, a tempo tool. If I'm playing an Egg deck, uh, Egg decks are decks that will play cards that are, like, a 0-3, but it spawns, you know, like, it'll spawn, like, a 3-4, or it'll spawn, like, a, you know, something, just, like, a threat, and so part of the game plan is around killing your egg so that it can do something cool. Um, Vectus would slot pretty naturally in those, because now you're gaining a lot of tempo out of your 1-1 whelps that are gonna turn into, you know, stats on the board next turn sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking something, like, you know, convincing Hillfoot Trader... These things, you know, die and they they kill a random enemy minion. You know, you you can put in uh, cart cartoon defenders. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Cartoon Defender is a good one. Cartoon Defender, when it has a death rattle to gain oh. health, and is a great way. It's a neutral minion that is health gain. So if you are a rogue, if you are a mage, and you are looking for health, you might put in two Cartoon Defenders and a Vectus just to give you, you know, some some catch up when it comes to getting out of, you know, lethal reach range. I actually hadn't noticed that it's only one death rattle. I thought it gained every death rattle from all your minions, so that, that seems a little <laughs> more balanced now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, say, like, every death rattle, that makes sense to me, right? Um, but, like, I feel like that'd be, like, Jabberwocked real quick, right? Because that, that was the last set I think I played was, like... Oh, yeah, Shutterwalk. Uh, oh, Shutterwalk. Oh, right. yeah. Shutterwalk. What, a, what, a, what a card. Um... Uh, but but it's but what it sounds like it's like this goes into a death rattle type deck and you hope to get some decent value out of it mm -hmm. rather than like you know I am specifically targeting a couple death rattles with this to, to hopefully pull back out. Yeah, I feel point. like hunter uh, like the so the death rattle classes are priest, rogue, and uh, hunter. Um, like every class will have death rattle cards, but those are classes that have like specific synergies around around their death rattles. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if those are the decks that, like, really, like, uh, you know, kind of focus it. Hunter has some powerful Death Rattle cards in this set. They have Carrion Studies, which discovers a Death Rattle minion and discounts your next Death Rattle minion. And they have Bloated Python, which is a three-mana 1-2 with a Death Rattle that summons a 4-4. Four, four. So just, like, you know, effects like that might might get get you there if you are, uh, if you're trying to put together, like, a Death Rattle deck and, and, and get some value out of it. Okay, that makes sense. What do you think of uh, of Sphere of Sapience? This is a huge. This I is was... like a, a a momentous card. It is the first neutral weapon, a one mana zero four weapon. It says, at the start of your turn, look at your top card. You can put it on the bottom of your library, and and the weapon will lose one durability. So it's essentially scrying. Um, I don't know. Yeah, uh, that was my first reaction was like, this looks like a magic card, and thus I approve. Uh, you know, I... <laughs> yeah. Like this just like seems like like you know like this is like a card that like th these types of cards are the type of things where it's like you know if I were a kid I'd be like why would I put this stupid card in my deck it doesn't do anything cool and then like as like a mature smart older older player I'm like ah yes this is actually the best card yeah um type of attitude towards it but yeah like that that looks really like I think that will be awesome I also don't like I like I have less of a mind for like how like how much like space you can de devote to these kinds of things in a uh in a hearthstone deck sure right? like like you know i feel like if this was a magic card i would probably have it in my like in a lot of my decks but i don't know if you can do that in uh yeah in, i mean in, obviously in it is a legendary card so there's only gonna be like one of it but i could definitely see a, a version of things where like sphere of sapience just kind of finds its way into every deck because like being able to control your draws is always powerful I also thought it like like when I was like thinking about like Lorekeeper lore pull kill, I thought like that's like a decent way to like like if you have it out, it's a way to like get like if you if you have like if you're playing Polkelter oh, or yeah, pull yeah. Kill, like a, a turn early, a bit. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah, you could like like get get down a mana uh, faster. Um, yeah, you you have all your all your burn damage, and you just need that Malagos or something like that still in yeah, your deck yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I think the, the cool thing too is that it goes on the bottom of your deck, right? So like, it's not like you're you're throwing it out, so you can you know potentially pull it back out if you need to. Um, uh, unrelated, but the, I would just just made me think of it like the the soul crystals, the the new mechanic for demon hunters and yeah. whatnot. Um, what do they do if you draw them? Uh, they restore they re health. 
Okay, do they automatically do that, or do you have to cast them to do it? No, they automatically do it. Uh, something that they added to the base it's game like is, like, uh, yeah, is cards will have a casts when drawn effect. So this is like a bomb. When I talk about bombs, shuffling bombs in my opponent's deck, those cast automatically. As soon as you draw them, it casts, and then you draw your next card. Um, so, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Uh... Yeah, that's gonna be a lot of fun to do on in a, in a like a quest warlock. I can definitely see it, or or you know, I, I kind of I really like this like add things and then you I guess you you sacrifice them in order to like gain these tempo tools. Yeah, I mean the, the so so the soul fragment package is pretty complicated. There's like a lot going on for it. Basically, um, it's something that both demon hunters and warlocks can do, and they have certain cards that will shuffle uh, soul fragments into their deck, and then certain cards that will consume a shuffled soul fragment to do a thing right um and the thing that i find interesting about this is that the cards are kind of like fighting each other in a way so for instance you have you have spirit jailer you know a one mana one three shuffle two soul, soul fragments into your deck okay fair enough then you have soul shear all right two mana deal three damage to a minion shuffle two soul fragments okay that's pretty fair right here you have you you're shuffling stuff into the into your decks in the early game um well, what are you going to do with it? Well, in Demon Hunter, you have two options. You have Soul Shard Lapidary, which has a battle cry that destroys a soul fragment in your deck and gives your hero plus five attack this turn. This is a really powerful tempo tool. You now have five attack on your hero that can go face, that can hit an enemy minion, you know, like that can blitz through a taunt or whatever, and you get a five-five body on it. That's the like that's free. That's amazing. And I would love to put that in my like very aggressive Demon Hunter deck. But then you also have Shard Shatter Mystic, which has a battle, which is a three minute three two with a battle cry that destroys a soul fragment in your deck to deal three damage to all other minions and it's kind of like well that's not what a tempo deck wants to do a tempo deck wants to take control of the board early and keep control of the board and so they wouldn't want to blow up all minions on turn three because they have they would want to have control of all minions on turn three and so like there's it's just like it's, it's, the the design kind of competes with itself a little bit um which I think is, I don't know, like, neat and interesting. Uh, because otherwise, like, you can imagine a world where the soul fragments are, like, sort of too synergistic with one another and, like, can really blow things out of the water. Or they become, I, I think the term is, um, not symbiotic, but parasitic. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I do like mechanics like this, though. I mean, they added Librams for Paladins in... Um, Ashes of Outland, and Librams have kind of made Paladin playable for me. I never really had an easy time playing Paladin because it was a very aggressive deck, and it had very bad... Paladin has very bad removal tools, um, and so it it's it's harder to play, like, a control version of Paladin. But with the Librams, you can, you can now sort of play a value-oriented Paladin deck uh, much more successfully. And so I'm kind of hoping that Soul Fragments will look, like, similarly to that, I guess. Well, good news is the Pelon got, I think, two, um, one of Pelon, Pelon's legendaries and one of one of the cross-class legendaries are definitely more control-based yeah, yeah, with uh, sure. Turalyon, the, the Tenured, and Lord Baroff. I think those two cards are definitely going to bring like a control Paladin back up. Yeah, and I, I think that, that's my favorite style. Okay. Two shields, and like that to me seems just, 
I don't know. That just seems really good. I also love Blessing, Blessing of Authority. This is a card that actually snuck by me, and I just saw it uh, right before the cast. But give a minion, uh, give a minion plus eight plus eight. It can't attack heroes this turn. Uh, for five mana is pretty, <laughs> I guess, pretty interesting. Dino size, but not quite. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, that is like the big power for buff cards is that like buff cards, you know, like they inherently have charge to them. If you have a minion on the board and you give it a buff, uh, that all of that damage goes face. So like five man, five mana to deal eight damage is a great finisher for any aggro deck. But when you have that second phrase in there, it can't attack heroes this turn. Uh, or claws in there um it kind of shuts that down a little bit and it's like okay well now i'm thinking about using blessing of authority on a taunt minion that makes it tough for my opponent to deal with or something kind of along along those lines yeah it definitely i mean one of the uh, i really liked um argent braggart the two mana one one battle cry gain attack and health to match the highest in, in the battlefield i think like you know we were, we were just talking about like a, the fourteen fourteen Edward. You know, you drop one of these, you have a fourteen fourteen of your own. Except you know, then the initiative, I guess you could say. Yeah, only there's like ways to rush it in. It's and it's one of those things that like it seems like Paladin should be very good at, and I feel like brings Paladin. Paladin has sucked for a lot of the expansion. It's kind of now in a good spot, but for a long time it was uh, it was really sort of like floundering um, compared to some of the more powerful decks. But Argent Braggart is a powerful card, specifically in the way that Paladin wants to be powerful, right? By putting stats on the board and seeing you know like the and seeing those stats on the board uh, and kind of like taking advantage of them. All right, so that, um, I think, like, do you, so we're, we're at the end of our hour. Do you guys have any sure. final thoughts you want to talk about uh, School of Mance before we move into our weeks? I'm just so excited to play. Uh, it, one of the things that I have, I think, that I think Hearthstone has done very well recently is give me, as a player, cards I want to see, right? Um, it hasn't always been great at this, like the Boomsday Rossicon. I was kind of like, ah, I don't love these cards. They're all right, I guess. Um, but like when I was seeing cards like Coerce, like Dr. Krasinov, um, like Commencement and like Ceremonial Mall, I was immediately like, oh, I want to put that in my deck. Oh, I can't wait to put that in my deck. You know, like this is going to be my new favorite card kind of thing. So I'm definitely very excited for, uh, for Skolomance, uh, for Skolomance to come out. So when I first, yeah, so for me, when I first heard of Skullman's Academy and its um, dual, class, dual class cards, I actually was kind of scared because I felt like Hearthstone's weakest years were when they arbitrarily um, split the classes into groups. Like I remember, you know, on Girl, it was a strong ex expansion. There were like, you know, oh, Paladins get, Paladins, Hunters, and Warriors, I, I think like get dinosaurs or something like that, you know, or like, you know, Mean Streets of Gadgetan, you know, three three of those classes were, were nigh unplayable during a lot of that a lot of that expansion. So like, I was kind of worried that that was going to happen. But what I'm seeing here is that like, even with the, the split uh, class cards, where we have uh, three different ways to play um, each class, which is a lot more than we usually get. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, with that. Uh, we'll move into our weeks. Uh, Aaron, you want to take the first crack at it, given that you have, it's been a long time since the week since you've been on here. Uh, you have anything you you want to uh, talk about uh, in particular that you've been doing? Uh, so with with the quarantine, um, 
I've, we thankfully have two game nights. Um, one of them is we're doing a Diablo 3 run with a friend over Switch. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've actually also been playing a lot of Diablo 3 recently. Yeah, uh, Sean and I got it just to have, have another um, multiplayer but cooperative game mm. for us to do. You know, and it's something we, we can just like sit back, hold down A, and like, you know, get through it. But then we convinced a friend of ours to get it, and we joined. We were doing these nightly runs with him, and it's we're just starting out, but it's already going to be a lot of fun. I'm also we're I'm also closing out uh, I think a Divinity Two run with another set of friends, so that's been really helping me out in this quarantine. Awesome, uh, yeah. Uh, you you actually joined uh, uh, me and friends of the cast, Monic and X. Uh, for a cup for like I think it was one session that we ended up that we ended up playing we, we just kind of fell behind or uh, we, we we did I haven't played a ton of it uh, since then um, but uh, it's definitely a very fun game uh, buddy was supposed to join us at one point but like he bought the game installed it and then like I know I you asked you asked me if I wanted to play I was like you know what this sounds cool so I bought the game and then realized it was gonna be like a three hour install and I was like all right well fuck I guess I'll play next time and there has not been a next time what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have to do it at some point. It's, def- it's definitely a fun thing to do. Yeah. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll have to figure something out there. Um, uh, what else? Um, uh, so, uh, buddy, do you want to talk about anything? Yeah. So, I've also been playing Diablo three. Uh, I've been playing the new season of Diablo three. I don't even really remember why. I was just like, I was kind of in, in the middle of. Uh, I was like in the middle of my weekend, and it was like I was just like, I don't want to play fucking anything. I don't want to play Hots. I don't want to play Hearthstone. I don't want to play WoW. I don't want to play whatever. And um, and I just I had Diablo three installed, and I was like, you know what? Like let's let's give it a try. And I ended up basically over the next two days leveling a necromancer all the way to seventy very quickly because I had bought the necromancer pack like a long time ago, but never actually beaten the game with it. So now I'm kind of, like, seeing what the end game on Necromancer looks like. I don't know. Diablo is just, like, very mindless fun. I was it, – it, it, it was great because I was watching Mindhunter at the time, and I really needed a game that I could, like, sit and put down at a moment's notice uh, in order to, like – if I wanted to, you know, like, pay attention to any of the individual scenes that I can play with, like, all the sounds off and stuff like that. Um so yeah, I don't know. I, I there's just something about like that grind in Diablo three uh, that has very that has very much enticed me. Um, I guess the other interesting thing um, that I've been playing is Far Cry New Dawn, which I almost secretly want to convince you to play and do a podcast on it because it's super interesting. They've kind of narrowed down what makes Far Cry work, and they are giving you more Far Cry than ever in Far Cry New Dawn, even though it is sort of Far, Far Cry Fallout, in a way, um, which I find like very kind of like interesting and intriguing. It is so much less a direct sequel to Far Cry 5 than I ever expected. Uh, like, Joseph Seed, you know, who's obviously like the main bad guy, like doesn't even show up and, like, all of the stuff that he's doing, I would, I don't want to spoil anything, right? Like, doesn't even come up because the main protagonist and the main villain, like, all of their stuff, like, takes center stage for the first half of the game. Um, but it does look a lot like Fallout 4 in a way. It's very crafting-focused, so instead of getting, like, money, you are trying to find sp- 
different crafting items to like craft your cool guns and stuff um and the big resource is ethanol like fuel where you uh you when you take over outposts you get a certain amount of ethanol and you can use that ethanol to like upgrade your home base so you get a better workstation and now you can build better guns and now you can do better whatever right all that stuff um so that so that's the other game that I have been that I have been playing a lot of. I actually think I kind of ruined it for myself a little bit because I was like, oh well, if I'm gonna play Far Cry New Dawn, I should clearly replay Far Cry Five so I get all like the little references and like you know like there are a little a lot of little cool references in the world. Uh, you're revisiting places that you visited in the original Far Cry Five, but now they're different uh, because of like the nuclear apocalypse or whatever else. Uh, but there's, like, a lot less of that kind of, like, connective tissue than I ever expected. Also, I decided to play Far Cry 5 on New Game Plus because I was like, I don't really do New Game Plus runs ever, but, like, maybe that'll be fun. And it turned out to fucking suck because I was already so overpowered, basically, uh, by uh, uh, having unlocked everything in the game that it was just like, well, I just blow everybody up with remote explosives all the time, and it's never it's never hard or difficult. Even though I was playing on the very hardest difficulty, like infamous difficulty or whatever. So you know, I don't know. It's a whole yeah. thing. That, that was that was a problem for me. Like like within my one playthrough of Far Cry Five, it was like at some point I was like, I need to stop doing things that aren't in the main quest because I like you know, there's nothing to improve anymore. Yeah. So, so like, no, um, and this has also sort of happened to me in Far Cry New Dawn, and I think it's because I am um, min maxing in a way. Um, so one of the one of the core mechanics of Far Cry New Dawn is you're getting ethanol, but like you get a hundred ethanol when you liberate an outpost, right? And you can use that ethanol for a couple of different things. You can, like, upgrade your health. You can upgrade the workbench, which lets you craft higher quality weapons. You can upgrade your ability to fast travel. You can upgrade your, you know, uh, the, the vehicles you use or whatever. And I very quickly was just like, well, the only thing that matters to me is fucking weapons. So I have the max level weapons or whatever. And I'm just, like, shitting on everything. Because, obviously, when I craft the rank 4 weapons and I'm going up against rank 2 guys, I'm just like destroying all of them and i'm just like ah man i should have done like weapons fucking last so that this was actually like fun um though you know you can obviously control that i i now have a very particular loadout that i take um that is almost kind of like playing with you know handcuffs on right um because like honestly once you get a silenced sniper rifle you can basically just silence sniper rifle the whole game like <laughs> yeah no I, I definitely i definitely get that um, I think I did a similar thing in Far Cry 5. But in this kind of vein, I do want to talk about a game that is kind of like Far Cry, um, and that is the same open world, but is also very weavy, and I think you will love it. Like, like this is like this is like me willing to convince you to try and like find a PS4 somewhere. Yeah, we, uh, we talked about Tsushima. it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I just Ghosts of Tsushima. <laughs> yeah, Ghosts of Tsushima is uh, phenomenal. Um, it has like all that open world charm. It's it's pretty good about like so the upgrades aren't super uh like they are they, they are like they're, they're like modern upgrades and like i'm getting them but it's also like not like a huge it's not like i feel like i super need them um the combat's pretty good but it's also just like so, such a beautiful game and the aesthetic is just so perfect mm. that like you know like like you know these are one of these things where like like you know like i would like quality of life things are like you know like or maybe w would be helpful but like you know you have different outfits and like i am so like into the aesthetic of this game that i am willing to go to the menu and switch my outfit every time i need to do something that like you know 
works better with it's like you know like the hat doesn't do anything but i need the right hat with my outfit right i can only i need to use the headband with my traveler's clothes and i need to use the straw hat with my ronin attire and it needs to be that way every time buddy um and like just like the little touches right like like you know, you know how like a lot of games have like a sheath your weapon button and like that like just doesn't get used except for like very occasional things or for like rp type things um this game has a sheath your weapon button but if you do it right out of combat like you do like the like you know throw the blood off your blade in a couple different animations. Oh my God. And then you like do the samurai sheath. It's just like after every combat, I sheath, I sheath the weapon, right? Like it's just like, yeah, it's like, (laughs) it's, it is, uh, it's, it's like, it is so Kurosawa and you know, like it is not historical. We were talking about historically accurate when we were talking about Hamilton. This is not how the samurai were, but like, I don't care. It's just, it's just, it's it's beautiful. (laughs) It's, uh, it's fun and it's it's just like so so aesthetically pleasing that like I uh I know I'm I'm in love with it. Um I'm still in act one just because it's like super long. I don't know how um how like the game exists past act one because like I'm like most of the way through the upgrade tree. Like I felt this way kind of about Far Cry Five where I like basically had finished my build by the end of the first section, just kinda like plowed through the other three. Uh or the other two rather. Yeah. Um uh and so i'm not sure how it's going to play out although i am very reliably informed by friend of the cast monica that too is excellent so um uh, i'm looking forward to playing more of that the other big thing of uh, for me this week was that um the ap i got my copy of the advanced players guide from paizo and we will be doing an episode on it but i just want to throw out there that it is super uh super good and i think that it really kind of brings pathfinder 2e into its own as like a full game i am excited about like builds i think it's some very clever things and we will get into that um maybe next time or the time after that with with uh with a, a read through um yeah I, otherwise... you know, I actually kind of want to ask uh Aaron, have you have you seen hamilton do you have any hamilton hot takes i'm like super thirsty for hamilton hot takes I'm, I'm sorry I can't give that to you. Oh, I... oh my god, I'm so depressed. Last night my power was out because they were replacing the telephone poles in front of my apartment, which by the way was awesome. Like gi- these giant cranes showed up with you know like with the telephone poles or whatever. Um, but I was so bored because obviously I didn't have the internet that I uh, I got in my car and I basically just drove for two hours and I listened to the musical splaining podcast, which is the YouTuber Lindsay Ellis's podcast where she explains music musicals to her friend who hates musicals which like turns out to be like really funny but also like enjoyable and they did it they did a whole episode on on hamilton with hank green of vlog brothers fame um and it just like reignite like i was ready to be done with hamilton and then i was just like wait but my hamilton hot takes please <laughs> no i did so... watch another movie that i wanted to talk about a little bit um have you guys heard of the movie midway is it like a like the Battle of Midway? Yeah, it's like the Battle of Midway. I'm honestly a little surprised. So, um, did, did I did I talk about Greyhound on the cast? I don't think Is that so. the Tom Hanks one. Yeah. So okay. So th- th- these two these two movies almost inspired each other in my brain. Um, I wanted to watch Greyhound. I actually like man when I was like in middle school when I was like in eighth grade I like got an encyclopedic knowledge of like World War II stuff I was just reading all of these like history books about World War II because I thought it was like super fascinating and um and one of the things I always thought was super fascinating was submarine warfare in like the North Atlantic right um because there's just like a lot going on and it's like 
very cool, I guess. And I was like, I couldn't believe that there wasn't a movie about this before Greyhound, which is the Apple TV, Apple, whatever they call it. Apple TV, I think is what they call it. Um, it's like an Apple TV exclusive, but I just got the free trial and then immediately canceled my membership. So I watched, I watched Greyhound essentially for free. Um, and it is like, it is insanely good. And I can't believe how much I have missed movies like these it's kind of like the movie equivalent of like a short story it's like very one and done it has no myth making or world building it is actually you know what it reminds me a lot of and we did a cast on this um is the drew goddard movie um god oh man i had the name it was like with chris hemsworth and john ham do you remember what that movie was called um the hotel uh the, the, oh oh um uh trouble uh, bad times at the el royale bad times at the, it's a lot like that movie right where that and, and what i said at the time is that movie was fantastic but i never want to see it again right like i got everything out of it that i could um and uh and i th- i realized i just like i haven't seen a movie like that in a long time and greyhound is exactly that movie it is just all about the tension and drama of you know you're a destroyer and there's this stretch of the Atlantic where for two days you're outside of air cover and there are these wolf packs of Nazi U-boats that want to blow your shit up. And and it was great. And I was like, oh, this is the best. And then I saw that Midway, um, the, the Roland Emmerich movie from last year was on HBO Max. And I was like, well, I got to watch this now. And Midway was almost kind of the exact opposite. Midway was very big, very grandiose in sort of the Saving Private Ryan vein. But like Greyhound was incredibly small in particular. It only cared about a couple of characters and like the, the individual mechanics of how a submarine like how defending your convoy against submarines works or whatever. Um, whereas Midway was like all about, you know, like, Oh, America and Pearl Harbor, but also like the Japanese are there, but they're like honorable warriors and like the Japanese admiral and the American intelligence officer knew each other and like had this mutual respect, but they were also enemies or whatever. Um, and I was also like, why the fuck have we never made a movie about Midway? Because M- Midway is like the most dramatic, you know, it's like one of the most dramatic stories of all time, right? Uh, where after the American, after the American fleet at Pearl Harbor gets blown up at Battleship Row, two air- aircraft carriers just happen to be out on exercises or whatever that day, or I think they were transporting planes, so they didn't get killed, and then. Um, the Americans lay a trap for the Japanese at Midway, where they sink four enemy Japanese aircraft carriers, including two aircraft carriers sank by one naval bomber. And it's just like, that's so, it's like so dramatic that, you know, you don't even have to make up the historical accuracy kind of stuff. It's just all there, right on paper. Um, which I thought was very weird to say about a Roland Emmerich movie, because I think he's a god-awful director. Roland Emmerich oh. is famous for the day after tomorrow, Independence Day, you know. Oh, you you, you don't like Independence Day? I, you know, I do like, I like Independence Day in the same way that I like, like, you know. An Transformers? Over, no, 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 no. Like, like an overeager dog, you know. It is a, it, that movie is dumb. <laughs> you know, it is not smart, yeah. it's not sophisticated, but it just, it does, it, it, it like works 
and you just kind of have to like it's like if a five-year-old was sitting down and telling me the story that he just made out we're just like oh this is so adorable i can't i i love it you know there's a big speech and it's and it's great and it's our independence day buddy and, and that's that's yeah and it's like very sincere and i think and, you know there is something i think about the magic of independence day where it's like it's character arcs like really work you know where um you know, e- I want to say Ian Malcolm. God, that's not his name. Um, Jeff Goldblum's character. Ian Malcolm is his Jurassic Park character. Jeff Goldblum's character is like he's he's a vegetarian and he recycles and he wants to save the world. And then he's the one who devises the virus to save the world. Or, you know, the, the, the president, Bill Pullman, the president is seen by the American people as a wimp, not a warrior. But then he gets into a an F-16 and he launches Fox 9 and it blows up stuff, you know. Uh, Will Smith wants to, he, he gets he gets rejected from flying the space shuttle, but then he's the only person qualified to fly the alien fighter craft into space. You know what I mean? It's like super simple, but just like sa- satisfying. <laughs> yep, fair enough. Aaron, have you watched anything, Any? do you have any deep Independence Day thoughts? Or <laughs> <laughs> Give us your Independence Day hot takes. That movie is 25 years old. <laughs> I guess I was talking about like how it's one of the only films that like probably like features um, the Jewish faith like in a positive light because of like where you know, Jeff Goldblum like says to his dad, you know, who hasn't, like, spoken to God or something like that in so long. Like, he gives him, like, I think, I guess, a Torah book and the, and the Yonka. Oh, you know, yeah. Like, oh, in, ca- in case you need it. And then they, they all, like, huddle and pray in a Hebrew prayer or something like that. I, I just, small world. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, Sean and I have actually gotten pretty obsessed with the series Dark on Netflix. Oh, I've heard uh, We're, we're um, starting season two now. And it's, we're... It's it's really good. Yeah, you know, we're watching. So I, I have the, not heard of heard of it. So so pitch it to me. Um, small. Hmm. So it's a it's a German series. With it's a German series with it has a nuclear uh, facility in, in this small town, and a kid a kid suddenly disappears, and there's some time travel shenanigans. Okay. Interesting. That sounds yeah. Interesting. I'm, I'm not sure how much else I want to say. You know, not like not okay, spoil that, anything. But yeah. That that is definitely fine. Like if if it's if it's the type of thing that needs to be not spoiled, like, I definitely get that. Yeah. What what um, have you been watching? You you haven't been watching anything. I feel like you you always come to the cast and you're just like ah, I don't know. Uh, I I watch a lot of uh, YouTube, uh, and like uh, and I so. The other thing was that, like, last weekend I was hiking in Acadia National Park, which is not oh, a thing yeah, we used true. to talk about. Um, but, is you know. That, is that some derps? Talk about hiking. <laughs> yeah. If anybody wants to go hike, like, I highly recommend Acadia National Park. It's beautiful. Um, and, uh, like, you know, there's you've got the ocean and you've got a couple of really nice mountains. Like, it is cool because, like, it's an island off the coast of Maine, but it's got, like, some not like super high, but like they're, they're mountains and like you can climb to the top of them and see the ocean and it's nice. Um, and that is what I did with my weekend for the most part. And I ate some lobster rolls, which are also very nice. Um, I, I do agree. I do enjoy lobster rolls quite a bit. Uh, do you get, do you get good lobster rolls on, on, uh, on your coast? Absolutely not. I have not had a lobster roll. Uh, okay. I, last year I went to Cape Cod for my cousin's wedding 
that's the last time ah. the rules. And it, and it was okay. Really I mean, it's the hey, yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Like, uh, like even down in Jersey, I don't like, you could probably find one somewhere, but I don't like, you know, it's not like a thing you got, but like up here, they're just Actually, like, this is a reason why you should watch. This is a reason why you should watch Midway. Um, what the, the, the fighter pilot I was telling you about, I mean, he's a bomber pilot. Um, Dick best comes from New Jersey and he has a really great New Jersey accent. That is like, I was like blown away by, I fa- so, so here's my, here's my opinion on New Jersey accents. Most of the time, it is to New York, right? To be a real kind of true blue Jersey accent. Like maybe like the Sopranos gets it right, but like most places make it to New York. And when I watched Midway and I saw, and I, and I saw, I think Ed Screen is, uh, is the guy's name, uh, is the actor's name. He played like Dario Naharis for like one season of Game of Thrones. Rest in peace. Um, he was he had a really great New Jersey accent and I was like, oh wow, look at this. This is like kinda authentic. I mean he doesn't say like gabagool, but whatever. Uh well then do you really have a New Jersey accent? Uh, <laughs> I don't think I have uh, a New Jersey accent anymore. Oh yeah, I mean it's I, I've I have found at least that like it's also not a thing that you can necessarily detect. I don't think that you really have it either, but I think that people of our generation have it like a little bit at the edge of their voices, like like yeah. their regional accents, right? But I, you know, I have a lot of trouble hearing mine um, if I have one. That's fair. And, uh, yeah, and I recently had to. I recently had to record some VO for work, and I was sitting there listening to myself, and I was just like, "Oh my!" I mean, first of all, anytime you listen to yourself, as Mango will attest, because he edits this podcast, you want to die. Cause you just like there's something cringy about it. It makes my that just like makes my skin crawl a little bit. But I realized that I was mispronouncing words because of my accent in a way that I didn't like hear. You know what I mean? Like um like do you know like glottal stops? Yeah, vaguely. Yeah. So like um, for 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 the non linguists out there, a glottal stop is when you like kind of you create a sound by stopping sound from happening. Uh, the the easiest example of this is you know if i'm gonna say the word mutton right like like sheep i would go mutton or like button right and i'm not actually pronouncing a t there i am specifically not pronouncing anything i am stopping the airflow and then ejecting and then kind of like ejecting it without like sounding a vowel and i would and i was sitting there listening to myself and i was like oh my god i can't say mutant it is mutant that is the word that i'm trying to say and i need to enunciate that t um so yeah, I, I do agree. It is tough to pick up your own accent. Yeah, I mean the other part of this too is uh, as 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 the real linguists will tell you, uh, the descriptivists, you know, you know who in you know ten thousand years it'll probably be like transferred towards these kind of like naturalized things, right? Like the uh-huh. way that language develops. Um, like uh, I, I I listen to it on and off, but John McWhorter has a podcast called uh, Lexicon Valley. Um, and he talks about this kind of stuff, like how stuff develops, but like, like the one that always stuck with me is that like, um, uh, how do you say the, the word, uh, uh, that, uh, that indicates copulation between two consenting or two, two consenting adult humans it begins with an S it's a three letter word sex. I'm just, yeah. Okay. Um, um, so like as time has gone on younger people, like, um, like the, like, the E is starting to turn into an A, so it's a lot of, like, sax, right? Like, it, it gets, like, oh, more towards, like, sax than from, um, uh, yeah, so, you know, fun facts. But, like, that's, like, you know, that's definitely stuff, like, I, like, 
because, like, as you mentioned, I, I noticed some of those things, um, mostly because John McWhorter points them out, and I'm like, oh, I, I you know, I heard that, yeah. right? Like, uh, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's all very interesting. Aaron, how, how do you feel about linguists? <laughs> linguists? <laughs> I'm, my younger brother is actually a linguistics, do- a oh, linguistics wow. doctorate, oh, wow. yeah, so. That's, that's awesome, man. Uh, you know, <laughs> Well, if we, if we had known yeah, that we were going to go there, we would have been I, I feel like I'm speaking with so much, you know what I mean? It's like I'm speaking with so much authority on this. And like, it's like well, actually, that is a dental fricative, you know? Like, <laughs> I can't wait for you to show this podcast to your brother and have him, you know, critique us. Yeah, Baseball and cringe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, can we just want to plug your, your brains to, like, EKGs or something like that and see what happens when you say the word mutant. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, no, let... I, my, my grandfather was a linguist, so I learned a lot of this stuff, like, kind of os- osmosis through him. Uh, like, I think that's where I learned the term glottal stop, um, is, is he explained that term to me when I was, like, a kid or something. Well... Uh, if you'd like to write in and tell us what you think about glottal stops or any of the other things we talked about this podcast, you can email us at subversplaygames.gmail.com or podcast at subversplaygames.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitch, Patreon. Shout out to Jimmy Elias for uh, throwing us a couple bucks oh a God, month. Jimmy. Jimmy, we love you. You're the best. Um, uh, uh, what else? Uh, you know, uh, rate and review us on iTunes. That's that's the other big thing we're supposed to say. Um uh, Aaron, if you want people to find you, tell them where they can find you. If you don't, that's fine too. Well, if you want to follow me for my hot cooking pictures and, mo- <laughs> and modeling in my in my model kits, you can follow me on Twitter at Chitario at C H E T A R I O, or you can add me on uh, BattleNet at Fortune Hunt R uh, hashtag one one six one five. You know, uh, I will say that your recipes are often inspiring um, and they're excellent. So I definitely recommend the follow on Twitter for the recipes. Um, uh, but, uh, buddy, did you have anything you wanted to promote or get out of the way before we got I out do of here? have a small promotion, which is that the next episode of Buddy Gets Good, this is going to be episode three of my playthrough of Gone Viral, is going to be this Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, last time I was able to finally beat what is functionally this tutorial i got to i I defeated the juggernaut um and the way that uh so god viral has updated quite a bit actually quite a bit since you played mango where they added what's called insanity mode which is um like certain levels of difficulty um so like the level that you played was probably insanity one you have to beat not so sane mode in order to get insanity mode one, which allows you to fight the champ who i have yet to defeat but i will be making attempts this friday going hard doing my doing my damnedest to get there uh there is also a lot of new stuff i'm I'm really happy with the new art uh they brought out an artist and um have updated the armor uh armor graphics and the boss graphics uh to make i you know just like the rogue the roguelite stuff a little more roguelite it doesn't look like you're you know like the exact same all the time um and i feel like you know the the art is really gonna help the game you know really like take off and be and be something special so yeah tune in uh, this yep. Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific. I can definitely say that I recommend the VODs. Those were, uh, I've watched, uh, 
your first gone viral and uh, your your spinch vods. Uh, <laughs> uh... Did you did you enjoy that gone viral vod? The funny thing about those vods, I don't know if I said this on the cast, is that the video editor is Brian. Shout out to shout out to my boy Brian. Brian is the best gone viral player like in the company. Like he's so good at it. He's actually one of the designer Doug's brother, and he can beat the game basically. What he says, one out of every two runs, he'll beat the champ. Right. So every other run, he he can he can do it. And so it was super funny for him to sit and edit my footage where I'm like walking into barrels and stuff. Oh boy, it's a good time. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I'm gonna have to say uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.